0: Hello and welcome to the Leaders Council podcast, the podcast for the people who run the country and the people who keep the country running. You join us on yet another lovely day here in the capital. I'm Matthew O'Neill. And today, as always, we ensure that we have a variety of distinct perspectives on leadership. First, we're joined by Dan Woodruff, owner of Academy Martial Arts. Dan, hello. Hey, good afternoon, sir. How are you? Very well. Thank you for coming on the show today. We might as well dive straight in. What does the word leader mean to you? What a
1: fabulous question to start off with. Uh, I think to many people, it's many different concepts. To me personally, a leader is a person who will be first. Mm -hmm. So someone who is ready to lead their team, lead their troops, lead those people that they've built up a movement behind them, not necessarily to, to, to be the first in the concept of they are the best, but more so in the first, as they are the first person to look after the team rather than worry about the team looking after
0: them. Now, what is your personal leadership style? My personal leadership style is, is
1: very similar to that because I believe that the leader should uh, not put themselves first, but put uh, create the movement and the tribe behind them to show them that it's their team that counts. So for me personally, I'm more about trying to make sure that my team is good, my team is ready to go, my team has not so necessarily just business-wise all the things that they need to drive other forward, put people forward, but also to make sure that they've got everything going on in their personal life that I can help them with as well. Because you might know yourself, it's, it's very difficult to motivate a team business-wise if they have concerns going on in their personal life as well. So of course. Be, friend, be friendly, but not their friends, but try and inspire them to do good for other people too.
0: And that's the thing that people need to remember when they're leading a team is that you're leading a group of humans. And humans have flaws and foibles and things that go on in their own life. What's the biggest challenge in leading humans?
1: The biggest change, I think, is appreciating exactly that. Not everyone is the same as you. Otherwise, everyone else would be a leader. There's obviously different um, positions available through different businesses and different people through life. We all have different personalities. We all have different things going on in our life because of the way that we react to those things. So uh, one of my philosophies is, Life doesn't happen to you. Life happens for you. So when you can start to appreciate things that happen for you, you can start to appreciate, okay, if my team has certain things going on in their life, I need to be able to handle those or help them, if they so wish, help them with those personal things they have going on in their life. Otherwise, their attitude, if they come into business-wise, I don't want them carrying that personal burden with them as well. So I would personally try and help them to get over that personal burden. So when they come into the working environment, they are ready to do that for other people too, almost like a ripple effect. So what we do from the top ripples down through all the rest of the stages.
0: Now, let's go back to an early ripple. When you were first starting out your career, was there a particular individual who formed the way that you think of uh, when you work as a leader?
1: Yeah, definitely. I have tried to appreciate that, that. I don't know the best way, but lots of people know their own ways. So very much like it's in a simulation, like Bruce Lee came up with the quote of, absorb what is useful, reject what is useless, but then combine that to, to create your own knowledge. So I try and constantly improve myself to help improve other people so there's there's various people that uh, influences around Simon Sinek is, is a great man for example that comes off the top of my head who is someone who's a, a fabulous leader knows, knows lots about leadership so try and absorb things from him absorbing people like Tom Bilyeu those kind of industry leaders um, it's Anthony Robbins' success leads clue so model yourself on the successful people that you want to be like uh, again another massive influence on me personally has been um, Tony Robbins, fortunately sure I've been away in America that, the last week at a conference and mm-hmm. he was there and being able to listen to him and absorb that kind of energy is, is massively useful. So being able to absorb content from other people but then being able to make it your own is something that I've tried to do personally.
0: So being able to absorb uh, information and reuse it to uh, the greater good of your organization is a key trait of a leader.
1: Yeah, definitely. I mean, the, the six basic psychological needs, uh, two of the high ones are for the need for growth and for contribution. So as humans, we need the four basic ones. So we need certainty. We need to know what's going on. We need uncertainty. Uh, like randomness and and, um, breaking the norm of of routine. We need connections. We need to be able to connect to other people and we need significance. So those are the four basic ones. Um, But then as as humans, we feel very much more fulfilled within our life and within our work, within our person and passion when we are able to have that sense of growth and contribution. So for me personally, definitely the last, uh, since about 2012 has, has been a big, mission to absorb as much information as I can, uh, which fits the the sense of growth, and then being able to contribute that back to other people um, has been a key element for me. Now
0: let's open this up to a much wider sphere. If I pressed you to identify the greatest leader, living or dead, who would you say that was?
1: Whoa it's very difficult to... Uh, identify one, I mean, there's loads of different particular people that I could instantly draw mm-hmm. on. Um, a figure from the past, Winston Churchill, for example, mm-hmm. five been later when the country just needed someone to step up and be the person to follow, he was that person. Okay, he came under constant criticism afterwards for, for things that he did right and things that he did wrong, but at that time, he was exactly what our country needed I figure that the world needed to be able to stand up and be able to be the person to follow and inspire others. Um, you can even draw on the, the recent Super Bowl. Mm-hmm. Like I said, fortunately, I was away in America. So um, being able to, to, to be in the, the homeland of American football, being able to, to watch the game itself was, was not only a fascinating experience, being able to watch other people. Um, who I was watching it with, get behind. I was, I was in a place where they were all Kansas City Chiefs fans. So mm-hmm. the Chiefs versus the 49ers, everyone cheering for the Chiefs. But it was interesting to hear people making comments about their quarterback, Mahomes. He... He was the person that they were, the story goes, they were 20 10 down. It was in the, the the last few minutes of the game, but he was the person that was able to drive his team and be able to come back and score three touchdowns within a, a matter of minutes for them to be able to win the game. So he's an example of, of, how a leader is so important to be able to inspire those around them to be able to get the best from them.
0: Exactly, and that and that does tie in quite well with Churchill. Churchill was certainly able to inspire uh, the people from both sides of the house and throughout the country uh, to rally yeah. to the cause. And uh, in both uh, circumstances, it's very much cometh the hour, cometh the man. Um, unfortunately, our time together is very quickly drawing to its close. But before we go, uh, give me a snapshot of what the next 12 months has in store for Academy Martial Arts.
1: For our school, it's all about growing our community. So we do a lot of work. Okay, we're a martial arts school. People instantly recognize martial arts with fighting, but we recognize it as a, version, uh, a vehicle to teach life skills. So teaching things like confidence, discipline, respect, commitment, and perseverance. Uh, that's what we ultimately teach as a martial arts school. Okay, we use the vehicle of kicking and punching, as I say. So for us, it's more about trying to create ourselves as a resource for communities to be able to help kids get them off the street, give them these valuable life skills, which they don't actually learn in mainstream schools. Okay, you learn math, you learn English, you learn sciences, which are vitally crucial. But these days, to be able to get ahead in life and be a leader, they need things like the self esteem to believe in themselves. They need the self respect to understand what they can do things. And they need the commitment, which is so important these days, so missing in children, the commitment to be able to keep on going when things get tough. Well, I believe personally, those things combined with the confidence of who they are is vitally important to be able to not only strive ahead for today, but strive ahead to be the leaders for the next generation.
0: Well, that's a great note for us to finish on. And I do hope to have you back on the show very soon, Dan, uh, so we can delve further into those lessons. Uh, Dan, it's been an absolute pleasure. Um, Please do come back soon.
1: Thank you so much for having me on the show and wish your listeners all the very best for the
0: future too. Very good. That was Dan Woodruff, owner of Academy Martial Arts. And now, if you haven't heard it before, it's Jonathan White's exclusive interview with Sir Jeff Hurst.
2: Uh, We're joined uh, today by uh, David Blunkett, Lord Blunkett, former Home Secretary, former Education Secretary. David, thank you very much for joining us today. You're very welcome. Uh, It's always a pleasure. But uh, since we are talking around the theme of Leadership, it would be a remiss of me if we didn't start with the leadership election going on in the Labour Party. Apart from, I'm sure you're that a certain someone is leaving a post, what are your thoughts on it so far? Well, I think the party membership have got to make a very clear decision. Uh, are they in, in
3: the stands watching or are they on the pitch playing? And if they want to play, then the two candidates that are in for the future are Lisa Nandy and Keir Starmer. I'm personally backing Lisa because I think she's a brave woman with a tremendous amount to give. She's got really good, positive ideas. I like them because they're about building from the community rather than command and control from the centre. They're about a new form of social democracy and socialism rather than trying to replicate a failed past. And she can reach out to people that others can't. So... I'm I'm giving her my backing. I think Keir Starmer is very professional, Mm. very able and presents extremely well. And I I hope that one of those two uh,
2: actually come through in the election on the 4th of April. Uh, There has been a lot of criticism, especially from uh, four candidates a little further left um, than them, who have criticised even the last Labour uh, uh, government as being part of 40 years of Thatcherism. Yes, I think it's really
3: unfortunate Uh, particularly when new MPs come in, having seen large swathes of their colleagues lose their seat, uh, to roll up the 13 years of Labour government with everything that I'm so proud of. I mean, we we were not neoliberals or anything like it. We were able, in the first 10 years certainly, uh, which I played a part in, to be able to turn the economy around, to invest in health and education, to be able to transform people's aspirations and their hopes for the, the future, and that included ensuring people got the minimum wage, which we never had before, sure start to nurture youngsters from the most moment they were born, transformation in the quality of education. And all these things actually add up to helping people to improve and change their lives for the better. And anyone who thinks that's not good and that isn't a government to be proud of needs to answer the question, what chivalet is it that you would want that would actually have done more to change those lives? I can think of two or three myself in terms mm. of uh, dramatically taking on uh, equ- inequality, although half a million children were taken out of poverty in those years. I can think of being even tougher on crime, even though I was dubbed as one of the tougher home secretaries because the people that I cared about most were on the whole, not exclusively, but mainly the victims of crime. I can think about taking on the very, very rapidly growing transnational power of the big tech companies, which we still need to work through in terms of how we do that from a a single nation just off the coast of Europe Mm -hmm. and how we work internationally without getting caught up in wars we don't want to be involved in. But how, how are we international? in a way that ensures that we play our part in making a better life for humanity as a whole rather than disengaging and becoming alien from the rest of the world. Those are big questions for the social democratic left, particularly with artificial intelligence and robotics changing the world of work forever, I think, in the next 20 years. Uh, An ageing population. Labour got 18% of the over 65 vote in the general election just 18%, it's staggeringly... It's extraordinary. ...staggeringly bad.
2: Um, and and climate
3: think- change, which we all know is going to be either a big gain or a terrific political trauma. We've got to take people with us.
2: No matter uh, which political party it is, the changes that will occur in this decade especially will determine their future ideologies certainly. And spe- speaking of your time uh, as home section in government, um, you worked with so many different individuals of all political stripes and none at all. Is there someone, and on the theme of leadership, that stands out to you that embodies some of those qualities you described earlier?
3: Yes, I mean, I, it's on the theme of bottom up. It was some of the most inspiring uh, head teachers and classroom teachers who, in really, really difficult circumstances, were actually transforming the life chances of children by inspiring those children to want to learn, to, if you like, lighting a candle inside them. Uh, giving them a, a a window on the world, which created an inquiring mind and an understanding that the world was their oyster, that they could do things with support. My, my philosophy has always been mutuality and reciprocity. We, we need mutuality to support each other. We need reciprocity in terms of understanding that we don't just take, we, we give a lot as well. And I suppose that really comes down to Uh, if you're prepared to do something for yourself, we're prepared to do something to help you. And that's fundamentally in education, but it is in all sorts of walks of life as well. So you can have innovation, you can have entrepreneurship and creativity in, in business, you can have the way in which people turn things around for themselves. Small businesses have done that. The contribution to... Uh, new ways of doing things, of thinking differently about our economy. Th- those are all grit to the mill. Those are the things we need to do. And we can do them together. It's not that you're on the side of the devil if you're an entrepreneur or you're on the side of the angels if you work in public services. We, we are mm. dependent on each other.
2: Uh, you can't have one without the other. Yes. Um, and I think to coin it, um, uh, uh, extraordinary, ordinary people, and especially when it comes to giving your answer, David, to uh, teachers, to carers, people that honestly don't get the recognition they deserve on a day-to-day basis. And without them, half of society wouldn't function.
3: Completely. I call it civil society, which functions even when government isn't functioning. It's it's the glue that holds things together. It's people working and living and having their being together and recognising that they are dependent on each other. I've obviously met incredibly inspiring leaders... In a different vein, I was very fortunate to have met Nelson Mandela three times. Uh, I met Bill Clinton a number of times, both of whom in very, very different ways were inspiring leaders. I've met people in leadership positions who couldn't take a decision to save their lives. Uh, Tony Blair famously said in his conference speech the year before he stood down as prime minister, conglomerating, I suppose you would call it, plagiarising thoughts, ideas, ways forward from everyone around you. I often think that um, football managers wouldn't do too bad a job if they actually talked to the fans Mm -hmm. after the game.
2: Well, everyone knows, uh, David. You know you're a big Sheffield Wednesday fan. It I know. It Can't be easy having to hear the it, praise of Chris Wilder and Sheffield United every week afterwards. No, week. I, it isn't.
3: Although it's damn good for Sheffield, so I'm being a bit magnanimous at the moment. That's very good about of you. Sheffield United in the Premier League because it it it's change. It does change. It lifts the image of the city internationally. If you're not just because it's Sheffield United, but because if you're playing Liverpool uh, and you're playing Man City. Then that's a global audience. You're immediately beamed across the world, so that's good. I I, I could cry sometimes. We can we can beat uh, Brighton, Premier League side in the FA Cup at Brighton. We can beat Leeds at Leeds. I was there when we beat them two nil in January. And then you can lose and then five 0 <laughs> at home to Blackburn, and half the fans were out of the. Ground by by the half time. What, what would
2: a manager blanket say in this situation? I
3: I would have asked myself a very simple question: What went wrong with motivating those players so that when they came out on the field, they walked instead of ran? They didn't have any of the passion they'd had the week before at Leeds. They showed no drive and incentive to take hold of the game. What what went wrong with the same players who'd played very well? the week previously. And if you could answer that question, and there may have something may have happened, who knows? Something during the morning before the game started, something may have gone sour. You get the answer to that question and you then start to ensure that we never never
2: do this again. Yeah, well I'm a Chelsea fan so I'm beginning to feel your pain at the minute. Um, <laughs> but I would like to pick up on another point you just made actually, David, about choosing a strong team, people that compliment you. A lot of criticism that uh, Theresa may got as Prime Minister was that she tended not to pick perhaps the more ambitious the more uh uh, uh people uh, uh, ministers that might well challenge her one of Boris Johnson's for all his faults uh he has been said in the past he's a man that picks people that are good at their briefs. Do you agree with that assistant? well
3: I'll reserve judgment on that until I see the outcome of the reshuffle, which as we record this podcast has not yet happened Mm. and I imagine I I would be very surprised if he didn't have quite a brutal reshuffle not just to get people in who he likes but people who are going to be really sparky and able and clear at doing the job because you can have all the best ideas in the world you can pronounce on what you're going to do but if you haven't got leaders in those departments prepared to do it if they're just toadies by the way and there is a tendency a new Mm -hmm. prime minister larger majority got to be very careful that you don't pick people because you're receiving the echo of your own voice uh, when you're speaking to them but get able people in i I, I won't comment on some of the less able but there are (laughs) clearly (laughs) in the cabinet as i speak at the moment people who are really just not up to it i mean incidentally anyone who won't be cross-examined by decent journalists on the BBC, um, changed their minds recently about mm. Sky <clears throat> isn't worth their salt. If but part of being cross-questioned is to demonstrate to yourself that you've got a grasp of your brief, that you believe in it, and that you can persuade people of it, and if you can't do that under real cross-examination, rather than sitting on the sofa. Mm-hmm. For a, a, an easy morning television program. Get out of the business. You know, don't don't w- do without it. a doubt.
2: Yeah, uh, that's and also I should add that is how, you uh, of all stripes earn that respect in the first place.
3: But there is a question, isn't? And there? try and answer the questions. That's, <laughs> that's what I always try to answer
2: the or questions. Or be very good at avoiding them. Either way. Um, oh well, the, the way of avoiding
3: them is to take it head on and say, I'm I'm not going to answer that question. Explain why.
2: Quite. Uh, <laughs> the um. And I think one of the great things about uh, the Leeds Council, especially, is that um, it takes and talks to people, again, from all different backgrounds, leading something very different, whether it's a charity, whether it's a business, whether it's in politics. There comes points, though, and David, you must have experienced this, whether as leading Sheffield City Council or as Home Secretary, when people are looking at you for leadership, where do you get your strength from? I
3: think there's something inside all of us. There's a tenacity, there's a, an ambition, there's a desire to get things done, to make a difference inside you. Whether you're in public service, the charities, or you're driving a business that actually says, this is why I get up in the morning. So you've got to have something internal to yourself. The, the second is the satisfaction you get back, because you do from seeing things change for the better you, you can take pride without being egotistical. There's nothing wrong with being proud of what you do and to want to do it even better. And that's why you need both sharp minds around you. In my case, it was special advisors as, as well as ministers. I pretty well picked my ministers. Sometimes Tony asked me to take people who I was a little bit iffy about, and we had to meld people into the team. I was able to pick all my own special advisors, and that really did make a difference. Mm. But in in the end, you've got to like what you're doing. I mean, the the, the people who are un, unhappy in their skin, they, they it's very difficult to perform if you're in the wrong business or in the wrong department of a business or if you're really hating teaching or in politics. You, you're just in the wrong department. I was very lucky because education and employment were my first loves in terms of what I wanted to do, and I got the job for four years. I'd then come to the conclusion that there were really big challenges for us. It turned out even bigger than I expected with the attack on the World Trade Mm Centre three months after I became Home Secretary. But the big challenges of security, of reducing crime, of dealing with the development of positive citizenship, which also had a read-over in terms of immigration, the kind of things Mm -hmm. that change people's lives either for the better or the worse and you don't get everything right that's the other thing you've got to recognize which is why being part of a broader team being able to take criticism but not always accept it (laughs) because otherwise you blow with the wind that that that's the the measure and i think if we can share those traits those experiences those different elements through the Leadership Council, if we can get people from very very different leadership managerial roles and delivery roles to actually be able to share that experience, everyone will gain something from it because that dialogue will inform it will avoid people reinventing the wheel it will take people a lot further than the the niche for good or ill the niche that
2: they're in at the moment um, David. In the very, in the couple of minutes we have left, um, I will be mean and put you on the spot and ask you for predictions perhaps in three things. What will happen in the Labour leadership contest? How will the next few months go for the government after Brexit? uh, Well, after we leave the European Union on the 31st of January? And where will Sheffield Wednesday finish in the league? Lord above, I'm not. I'm not sure which is the most difficult of those <laughs> questions.
3: I, I've already indicated where my support is for the the Labour leadership. If we take it at the end of January, two thousand and twenty, Keir Starmer has clearly got a got off to a very very um, strong start. I think, however, it will be very much down to who can reach those parts of the. Labour Party membership that came in on the back of Jeremy Corbyn's election in 2015 to that post who can be persuaded that what they want to see and the change, the big changes they'd like to enact can only be brought about in any form if we win and we win back the people, the tragic loss of people on our side uh, mm. in December 2019, uh, and that that's got to be Lisa Nandi or, or Kia. On on the, um, the the next few months, I think that the government will probably do quite well. I I I think that there are real dangers ahead in just having 11 months to negotiate trade deals, especially with bellicose pronouncements about we're not going to have alignment, as though. Alignment in itself is a bad thing when some of it will be very good. So I think there are dangers, but I think there's quite a bit of momentum going with the government at the moment, and that will be reflected in relationships, in doing deals in Europe and facing outwards to the rest of the world. Sheffield Wednesday, God help me. I mean, you know, how is it that two of the things that are most important to me, other than my family and loved ones, is football and, and politics, I think Sheffield Wednesday will be hard-pressed now to get into the playoffs. If we do, I think we could pull it off, but I am really reluctant.
2: And I think on that prediction, your reputation will be judged. Lord Blanket, thank you very much for
0: joining us God today. God bless you, Jonathan. This has been the Leaders' Council podcast. Thank you for celebrating excellence and leadership with us. I have been your host, Matthew O'Neill. Until next time, goodbye.